No, we want one of the points. One of the points. I think at that point it would have made it a three-point game. I think we'll worry on that. I know it would give made it a one-score game. That's what it would have made it. So. Bishy, Bishy. Well, again, I think, you know, we all have a lot of respect for Deshaun's career and what he's done, and I can remember him, you know, coming out. So we're excited about getting those speed element out there to be a complement to what we're trying to do in offense. Certainly with the speed that Zay has and what Brian and Hunter bring to us, um, it'll be good for us to get another speed element going on offense. We're excited about getting him to practice. You just crushed my dreams. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. Just throw it deep to Deshaun Jackson. Things will go very well for you. So, Raiders play the Chiefs Man. this week. Sorry, my brain just cast an image of Zay Jones and Deshaun Jackson both running into each other. Yeah. <laughs> Ran the same route. Uh, but the Raiders, uh, they take on the Chiefs this weekend. Now, I do want to go back to the Damon Arnett situation because Mike Mayock, when he talked earlier this week, he took full responsibility. He said he takes all the blame for the 2020 draft class. If you go back through that draft class, it is not very good. It wasn't very good really coming into this year. Uh, you had Lynn Bowden, who they traded away before he ever played a game. You had Tanner Muse, who never played a game for this team. Uh, Amik Robertson has been pretty much unplayable this year. Brian Edwards has started at wide receiver, has been okay. He's had some big moments in overtime in the fourth quarter of some games, but hasn't really been a consistent contributor to the offense. Uh, and then you have this year and you have the last couple of weeks with the first round picks where Henry Ruggs drives drunk, ends up killing a woman and is released and likely going to go to jail. And now you have. Damon Arnett released from the team, multiple incidents, but the final one being waving a gun around in front of a camera while threatening to kill someone. So Mike Mayock took full responsibility for that. And the reason I find that interesting is because if that is true, if that is accurate, Mike Mayock should not be the general manager next year. For the Raiders, but he's never been the general manager yet. You got to give him time, but that is the, that is the legitimate question. And it's one that I assume, maybe not the way I phrased it. I assume Mark Davis knows the answer to this, but the decision-making when it came to draft picks, how much of a say did Mike Mayock have? Did Mike Mayock want Henry Ruggs, Damon Arnett, Lynn Bowden, Tanner Muse, Amik Robertson, John Simpson. Or were those guys that John Gruden demanded to have, right? The, the question is, what was the process to pick those players? Because here's the thing. If Mike Mayock was fully responsible, right? If we lived in this idea where John Gruden wasn't making decisions, where Mike Mayock was drafting these players, Mike Mayock cannot be the GM next year of the Raiders because it's not just that draft class that hasn't been good. The Cleveland Furl, Jonathan Abrams, Josh Jacobs, first round picks. Oh boy. This last year, they took Alex Leatherwood. Who's already had to change positions. Like they have destroyed the draft capital that they had with these first round picks. They've made some decent later round picks. Max Crosby's really good as a mid round pick. Hunter Renfro, a good slot receiver as a mid round pick. They've, They've done good in some spots, but they Lynn Bowden, they blew it. He's not even playing this year for Miami. They blew it with their first round picks. And again, the question comes to 
who was responsible. Because if Mayock was responsible for those, the guy's not, he can't be the GM. He's ruined too many drafts in a row to be the GM. But if John Gruden was 100% responsible for it, then like you joked, Mike Mayock needs time to be the GM. I mean, he does if John Gruden was 100% responsible. But the question is, is that neither one was likely 100% responsible. I know Mike D- or Mark Davis gave that weird quote about, well, it was 51% John Gruden, 49% Mike Mayock. Whatever that means, right? But the question is, who wanted these guys? Who wanted the players they've been drafting? Who has been the most influential? If it's John Gruden, then Mike Mayock might actually deserve a shot to be the general manager going forward. But if it was Mayock, right? If Mayock had Damon Arnett and Henry Ruggs and Cleland Furl and Josh Jacobs and uh, Jonathan Abram, all these guys, Alex Leatherwood is high on the draft board as they ended up taking him. That guy's not the GM. He should not be the GM at all. Because the other part of this, to, on Damon Arnett, Mike Mayock gave the quote that we did more research on Arnett than anybody else since I have been here. And we missed, and that is 100% on me. They did more research on Damon Arnett. And this is a guy who, in his rookie year, crashed four rental cars. In a month, it's a guy who's being. I don't even being know how this, that's like we it, I, we've talked about it three times, and I literally am still like, how how do you keep getting rental cars? It's a guy who's currently being sued after a hit and run accident where he was at fault. He's also how being do you sued. Keep driving. He's also being sued uh, because he was accused of spitting on, berating, and poking a uh, valet worker at the Aria. And then the video of him waving guns around like this is not, oh, there was one incident and we just had to release him because it was so bad. Like this guy got drafted by the Raiders and the character concerns ended up to be accurate. And Damon Arnett continued to have screw ups. And I guess you can look past crashing four rental cars in a month. But like, I mean, there's so many issues there that it wasn't even like, oh, the Raiders were close. Like, no, Damon Arnett was not a good draft pick simply from a, is this a guy you want around your team? But the other part that doesn't make any sense. I don't want him around my garage. The other part that doesn't make any sense is why did they reach for Damon Arnett? This was not a guaranteed top 10 talent that fell to the second half of the first round because of character concerns. This was a guy that people had picked as Well, maybe he could start in the NFL under the right system. This wasn't some guaranteed talent. The guy hasn't been any good on the field. He gets hurt more than he actually was able to play. And he had character concerns. Why are you reaching character concerns for a guy that's not even like a guaranteed that guy's good at the sport? Like, what are you doing with that? Is it is it some sort of sunk cost fallacy where they basically were like, we did more research on this guy. (laughs) We better. We have to take him. (laughs) We spent all of our scouting points that we allocated on one guy. He's not very good, but we spent them all. What is this, uh, NCAA football, where you use all your recruiting resources? I, on was, one I was going with Madden, Over but Madden, yes. Yeah. So there's a couple other things that, uh, okay. Mike Mayock, after the 2019 draft, gave this quote. Again, this is 19. This is Furl, Abram, and Jacobs in the first round. I try to tell people it's kind of easy to spend money in free agency or draft players, but the hard part is developing a team, and that's what we're trying to do. We are trying to do it by strengthening and improving our locker room with character, hardworking guys that love it. 
And that's what I'm really proud of. We stuck to it the whole time. He said that after 2019, the next year they drafted Henry Ruggs and Damon Arnett in the first round. Did they just stop? They stopped caring about getting locker room guys. They stopped well, getting about the character guys, the hardworking guys that love football. They just stopped the next year. Like that part is ridiculous. And then well, I, I do go ahead. We did. We did complain about like, don't look for character guys. Look for the most talented guy. But they didn't do either. That's the problem. <laughs> Well, they, they did one. They stopped looking for character guys. Well, yeah, but they didn't. They didn't get the character guys or the talented guys in 2020. But they didn't get either one. They got guys that were bad at both. And then the other thing to go back on is a couple of weeks ago, Mark Davis and John Gruden. John Gruden resigned. Mark Davis did not do a press conference. Instead, Mike Mayock talked to the media. And when Mike Mayock talked to the media, he tried to defend Mark Davis, right? Because again, there was four or five days there where Mark Davis appears to have had all of this information of the emails, let John Gruden coach a game, let it go on for another day after that. And then finally John Gruden resigned when the rest of the emails went public, when they were published for everybody else to see. Only then did John Gruden resign. Mike Mayock tried to defend Mark Davis by saying, oh, he does everything the right way. He wanted to do his due diligence, all this. And one of the details that Mike Mayock gave as a way to defend Mark Davis was that Mike Mayock sort of laid out, hey, if there's ever a time where uh, we want to sign a player or draft a player that has character concerns, we go into Mark Davis's office and we basically present it and say, hey, This is the situation. These are what the potential problems are. This is why we think they're either not a big deal or we can help him or we can help him along, right? Basically made it out to be as like Mark Davis cares about the character of guys in this organization. And if we want to draft somebody, there's a rigorous process to bring those guys in. Where was that process for Damon Arnett? Because it failed massively. And if we're going to defend Mark Davis based on that process for why John Gruden wasn't fired immediately, why John Gruden was allowed to coach, that process sucks. That process doesn't work. And so if we're going to defend Mark Davis as being a guy that cares about the character of people that play for the Raiders, we got a whole lot of evidence this year that he doesn't. A whole lot of evidence that his process doesn't work and that he's willing to cast it aside for whatever shiny object is out there whether that's John Gruden or whether that's Damon Arnett, right? So any of this defense of Mark Davis and the type of character that he allows at the Raiders, I don't want to hear it anymore. All I hear from this is, well, the Raiders have such a great history with diversity and inclusion. Mark Davis doesn't. That's not Mark Davis anymore. That's Al Davis. That's before Mark Davis. So all this whatever, defending Mark Davis for everything the Raiders have done in the past, That's the past. We're into 2021 now, right? The things Mark Davis has done, what's happened to this team this year, Mark Davis has a long way to go. Long way to go because the least offensive of the things he's done this year is Steve Wynn lit the torch. Good Lord. That's the least offensive of things that have happened. Hold on, hold on. Some people on the financial side may have taken out loans, but they didn't (laughs) plan on paying back. Hey, apparently that happened in Oakland. Okay. According to Mark Davis, that didn't happen. But that's like, again, Steve wouldn't let the torch. Like that's, and that's the 
the best thing that's happened over the course of this season is that they let Steve win, gave him this platform to light the torch. So any defenses of Mark Davis and the the way he runs the Raiders, he's got a long way to go based on the last couple of months to prove that he's actually about all the things that he says he's about. Still the best WNBA owner in the league. Yeah. Low bar to trip over. The one team wanted to get their owner fired in the middle of the season. So <laughs> the one uh, team actively campaigned like LeBron buy us. Mark Davis said, well, I might spend some money on this team. He's like, yeah, you're the best owner in the league. Now this is great. Coming up next. Sam and Ash join the show. Guys, guys, did you know that I actually have a civil case against that that stole my husband? Don't sue a stripper. Why not? She's a stripper. Life sued her and she lost. Call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit their website, samandashlaw.com. Sam and Ash, because you deserve what's right. I think Ed's afraid of you guys. That's what it seems like. Yeah, he's running away. He missed like almost all the last week and now his first day back. He left early specifically because you guys were coming on. He's afraid. Maybe litigation's heating up with uh, between him and Rocky. <laughs> That would be great. How are you guys today? Great. Okay. Great. How are you? I'm very good. Very good. It's always good when Ed's gone, isn't it? <laughs> no. 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 Yeah, sometimes. Because he's out there driving. That's that's a fair point. That is that's a fair the, point. That's the problem. Um, but he's not in the studio. He's on the roadways, and that's did, not good. Did you guys see the the game last night? Yes. Oh my gosh, was that good? Well, yeah. I mean, it was. Look, they they both played a little sloppy, but but it was, I mean, there was some there were some great moments. Uh, so I I that was a that was a good one. Listen, uh, they they're missing approximately half of their good players. Anytime they win a game until those guys are back, it's a good game for the Golden Knights. It is. The, it is. The bar is the bar is probably the lowest it's ever been for the Golden Knights right now, simply because their entire team is hurt. Now the. Uh, the th- number 13 for the Kraken, t- is it Tanev? Is that how you Tanev. pronounce it? Tanev. T- Tanev. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That guy is in pain today. <laughs> what McNabb did to him, that, and by the way, it, it, you watch the whole game, Brandon Tanev was was being a D the entire game. I mean, he's an aggressive player. Uh, he, he he throws his weight around. He he was getting away, frankly, with with a lot of with a lot of stuff that I think should have been called. But it was really funny because when McNabb went in, I saw I saw it happening, and it was like, oh boy, oh boy, oh yes, it was so good, loved it. All right, I want to ask you guys about the Dalvin Cook situation. So uh, there's a story in the Minnesota Star Tribune: an ex-girlfriend is uh, suing Dalvin Cook. Uh, seeking unspecified monetary damages. Uh, her claim here is that she was trying to collect her things from Dalvin Cook's house and that Dalvin Cook grabbed her arm, slung her whole body over the couch, slamming her face into a coffee table, causing injuries to her face. Um, she also, at one point, was assaulted in the shower. Uh, she also grabbed a gun, she says, to defend herself and Dalvin Cook threatened to beat her with a broomstick. Now, the other side of this story, Dalvin Cook's agent has already ca- already came out when the story first was published. He was already quoted in there saying that she was the aggressor and that Dalvin Cook was the victim of domestic abuse, and she is now trying to extort 
money from Dalvin Cook. So what I'm curious about is when you have basically two polar opposite uh, stories from each side, like how do you think this plays out? What do you make of Dalvin Cook's agent like being ready on top of it to dispel this story from his ex-girlfriend? Oh, well, this is, I mean, it's a classic he said, she said story. And remember, there's always the criminal component. If she filed a police report and the police decided to pursue any criminal charges against either of them, there's that aspect. But here we're talking about the civil side. She's suing him and wants monetary compensation for what she's been through. And they're going to go through a, a discovery process where her attorneys ask for all of this information, you know, text messages, phone records, surveillance if there's home security camera footage things like that because she's gonna have to prove her case she's she's putting on a a case against him for all of these damages so she has to prove it she has to prove that she wasn't the aggressor that he did this to her and and his lawyers will do the same they'll ask for all the text messages phone calls and anything like that to prove their defense uh i am go ahead sam yeah no i'm gonna say this i've seen some pictures of her um, and again, I, and again, I, I don't know this. I think TMZ had some, some article, uh, some were, was able to get the photographic evidence. So he said, she said is fine. And I, I agree with Ash that that does happen, that that's, that can, you know, those are tough cases, but if he doesn't have a scratch on him and she's got blood all over herself, all over her face, it's swollen and shows signs of, of, of trauma that's going to be a problem for him Mm -hmm. so the fact that his agent is coming out and saying oh no 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 this was you know she was the aggressor and by the way she is in the army so this this gal's not you know she's a tough tough cookie but no match right for this guy who's you know three times her size and and so he you know if if this if this happened the way she said it did the photo there will be photographs there that's how you would prove her side of the story and of course, if they do prove that, regardless if it's a civil or criminal case, I really, you know, the NFL needs to step up here and 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 take a take a stance on this because this is this is egregious. I was also curious. So she she went to the hospital. I think it was the next day she went to the hospital, and she told uh, the doctors there that she had been in like a four wheeler accident or something like that. And the this is not a a criminal case, like you said. This is a a civil lawsuit. Is there any reasoning behind, and maybe this is just me anecdotally, but it feels like there's a lot of domestic violence cases where we aren't talking about a criminal case, we're talking about a civil lawsuit instead? Well, well I think because in a, in a lot of times, it, if, the, if the victim, right, the real actual victim, and I'm not taking a stand on this particular issue, but let's just say the, whoever the victim is, you know, the, the, there's a hesitancy to pursue criminal charges and there's, you know, and then, then there's this kind of contradictory evidence given, which I think, I think, frankly, is very typical in cases because, you know, the, the incident occurs, the assault occurs, the, the, then the victim wants peace and the family wants, you know, there's their kids involved, there's dogs involved, there's property involved, they back away from the charges. And then that puts the prosecutor, you got to understand the prosecutor wants to put on a strong case. They've got a, a victim that's vacillating, that's giving you know, false statements, even if they can be explained, right? Suddenly that weakens the case. And there's, when we say this over and over again on this program, there's there's a higher bar, there's a greater standard 
for criminal uh, prosecution than there is for civil cases. So again, there's there's a, there's a lower standard. So I think you know more likely to prevail in a civil suit. Also, Tyler, just one other thing to think of. You know, the the unique part is a lot of victims of domestic violence they don't want to help the prosecution because there's emotional ties and so and we only hear of these civil cases because we we deal in a world of tmz and sports and so we're hearing about the cases where there are lawsuits but a lot of times the issue is the prosecutors are trying to go forward on domestic violence charges but the victims don't want to they don't want to cooperate they don't want to help because there is a relationship they don't they fear retaliation there's a lot of nuance to domestic violence cases um, that, that are, make it really tough for prosecutors. And uh, to that point, I know the, the Minnesota Star Tribune story on it said that they continued to date uh, on off for a couple of more months before officially breaking up after this incident happened. Um, another story I wanted to ask you guys about. So we had in the NBA two nights ago, uh, Markeith Morris eh, committed a hard foul on Nikola Jokic and then Nikola Jokic basically body checked him to the ground. Markeith Morris, he didn't get stretchered off, but it took him a while, a while to get up. He was down in some pain. Uh, both players got ejected. But what I'm curious about, after the game, Markeith Morris's twin brother, Marcus, tweeted, waited till bro turned his back, noted. But also, Nikola Jokic has two brothers that attend, I think, most, if not all of his games. They created a Twitter account to respond... <laughs> To say, <laughs> you should leave this the way it is instead of publicly threatening our brother. You made a dirty play first. If you want to make a step further, be sure we'll be waiting for you. Uh huh. Are they related to Conor McGregor? <laughs> so what I'm interested in is like the idea of threats and how, like, can you be charged for threatening people on social <clears throat> media like this? Well, I say this as a as a proud Eastern European. If I've got a band of Serbian brothers threatening me, I'm going to pay attention to that. Thank you. Thank you. I, if I'm Morris, I walk away from this, and I say, and this is legal advice. Okay, walk away, <laughs> let it go. Um, but yeah, you can. I mean, the, the, there's the standard is it has to do with imminency. You know, the the ability that to effectuate and 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 a threat to act on it and how how proximate you know proximately you can eff effectuate it so basically if you're saying i'm going to do something to you somewhere in the future at some undisclosed location that doesn't the the police aren't going to act on that that's not really that's not something that y you can even really sue over i mean you can but you're not going to get anything for it but if you go i am coming to your house at 11 p.m and i'm going to do x y and z to you and you live in the same town and you, you, you know, and you have a, the person making the threat has a car and, and can carry it out right now. Now there's enough specificity and the threat is realistic enough to where, you know, potentially some criminal charges could be filed and, and certainly grounds for a restraining order. Guys, remember, we just dealt with this with the Raiders, Damon Arnett. Yeah. He had the video of showing him waving a gun, making threats. And I don't think I've heard any stories of prosecutors coming after him. Yeah. Um, Sam, do you have a, is there a country that you would be more afraid of a band of brothers than Serbia? No. Okay. <laughs> not, not on that continent. I, I was going to say, does Putin have any brothers? <laughs> 
So no, Serbia is at the top of the list. No, the Serbians are uh, Serbs are uh, are are battle hardened. You know, they're they're good people and um, are I no I, I I have a lot of Serb friends, but I I would not I let me put it this way I'd want to be on their side. <laughs> It is SamAndAshLaw.com, 702-820-1234. As always, we appreciate it. Hopefully, it'll be here next week. <laughs> we hope so. We will. Thanks, guys. Bye. Take Thanks. care. See you. Bye. SamAndAshLaw.com, the phone number there. He keeps wrecking rental cars. <laughs> All right. Coming up next, Tina Wen's going to join the show. But first, oh, no, we'll do that later. Yeah, I lied. I, I, I lied. Time. I'm off here. Black Crows tickets are coming up at some point. Call Sam at Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit their website, samandashlaw.com. Sam and Ash, because you deserve what's right. Right pumps. And throws a deep ball down the right sideline. Intercepted again by Xavier McKinney at the 50-yard line, and he steps out of bounds there. Boy. Intended for Zay Jones. But McKinney with his second pick of the ball game. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Joining us now is a uh, relatively new face in the Las Vegas media scene. Tina Wynn from KTNV. So hold on first, Tina. How'd you end up yeah. in Vegas? What's what's the story here? How you got here from Texas? Yeah, so I I started in a local TV in 2019. Uh, my last market was in Tyler, Texas. Um, and for a lot of people in Vegas who may not know where Tyler, Texas is, I always say it's where Patrick Mahomes is from. So, yeah, I was looking for uh, my next uh, kind of move in TV, my next market, and Vegas popped up on the radar, and I said, hey, why not? And I haven't even been here for three months. I believe I started in August, like end of August, um, a couple weeks before Monday Night Football. And, I mean, it's already been a bit of a whirlwind <laughs> with everything that's going on. So. Wow. I always tell people, yes, Vegas is definitely a, a, a sports town. There's a lot of movement, a lot of things going on here. Well, I mean, you've covered the most eventful, like, two-month span of the Raiders, maybe their entire franchise history. Oh, yeah, I, I know. And I was uh, talking to my boss uh, earlier this week about it. Like, you know, he was telling me the chaos seems to have all started when you first came to town. So I either a need to leave town soon, or maybe hopefully the chaos will kind of die down now a little bit. Now that it's kind of all hopefully gotten out of the way. All right. So give me give me impressions here of covering the Raiders. Obviously, there's now Rich Basacci in charge. It's not John Gruden anymore. What have, what have you made of covering this team through three months of chaos? Yeah, I mean just first off it's just been a whirlwind for for this team it's november 10th and i believe john gruden resigned on october 11th so you know not even a month into gruden resigning we've had a week ago i was um at the raiders presser getting ready to hear rich Saccia and Derek carr speak to the media um for the first time in person of course after learning about henry Ruggs and then um, Monday, Damien Arnett gets released. So it, it's definitely been um, a bit of a whirlwind, I think, for this team. You know, in a normal season, you'd be able to really kind of truly focus on football. But the hard reality is for this team right now, it's a lot of navigating all the off-the-field stuff. We're also having to still perform, show up to work, and perform to the best of your ability on the field as well. So it's definitely been a lot, um, but uh, just a, a whirlwind, to, to say the least. What have you made of, of Rich Passaccia? Because he, he gets named interim head coach the first time he's been a head yeah. coach at the NFL level. 
I feel like he's he's handled himself pretty well uh, when at least when oh, yeah. talking to the media. Uh, how have you? What mm-hmm. have you made of him so far? Yeah, I, I agree. I think too when he first was named, I was talking to some other people, you know, because there are other guys on this coaching staff that do have head coaching experience, and I think it kind of came down to Versace as a guy who has worked with a lot of the players on this team, being their special teams coordinator. But, you know, just overall being around the guys and hearing them talk about him, he really seems like the coach to lead this team right now. Um, You know, it's, again, he's had a lot of experience coaching in the college level, but also NFL and just one this team seems to really love this guy. And it's definitely, as you mentioned um, in the beginning, I don't, I can't think of another time in Raider history where it maybe it's been this chaotic. So right now it's just, a critical point in time for this organization, but I definitely also agree. That I think Rich Passaccia is the guy to lead this team right now. How many Golden Knights games have you gotten to cover? We had their preseason games um, on our channel. Okay. So I was able to cover a lot of the preseason games, also travel with the team as well. Um, but my first, uh, I've gone to Dallas Stars game in, of course, in Dallas, being from Texas and being that team there. But it is a whole nother level. I think everything in Vegas from a sports perspective is a whole other level. I mean, it comes with a show and a performance. So I remember the first season opener against Seattle, seeing um, the, the pregame stuff and everything that they were doing on the ice. I was blown away by, by it. So it was it's definitely super cool. And also talking to some of the guys, they're all, you know, super excited about being back in the fortress and especially with fans being able to attend fully at full capacity and everything too. So yeah, that first uh, season opener was just awesome. And I think, too, now looking forward to it, I tell people who do come visit from Texas as well, try to catch a game, a VGK game, um, because it, it's definitely a good experience. So we thoroughly enjoy grading the people that crank the siren before the game starts. <laughs> okay. Uh, what did you guys think of Jack Eichel last Listen, uh, Ed, who's gone now, my co-host, he gave him an incomplete. Incomplete. Because he's giving him the benefit of the doubt that he has to have neck surgery, so he can't go all out on it. Uh, I gave him an F. F. Because there was very little enthusiasm into his siren crank. Okay, so I'm guessing you two are looking for more, more hype. Absolutely. The neck injury, though, the neck injury does play a role. Maybe, though. maybe, but don't go up there in the first place. Here's the thing: I'll have to, I'll have to send you. We have had. Probably the best siren cranks have been the UNLV coaches. Uh, Marcus okay. Arroyo did one where he was insane. And then TJ Alzelberger, the former UNLV coach, he did one a couple years ago where he looked like he got possessed. Like they are two of like, I, they're kind of horrifying, but also kind of exciting. So like th- there's a very high bar and Jack Eichel did not come anywhere close to meeting this bar. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I am going – I have an interview later with you and other football. So I got to ask Roy about this. Absolutely. Point, you're kind of put in, like, a vulnerable state there when you're, you know, put the cranky <laughs> the siren in front of, like, thousands of fans. That, that's not an easy job to, to do. I, I got to say that. It just seems a, a little frightening. You got to go all in, though. It's either all in or not all yeah. in. and it, It's one or the other. There's no in-between, I feel like. All right, uh, you've been here for a few months. The thing you miss most about Texas is what? Ooh, the thing I miss most about Texas? Geez, well, I can't be lame and say my family, so I'll go ahead and say barbecue. I have yet to find a good barbecue place in Vegas. Um, so if you guys know of any, you got to let me know. Uh, Smoking Pig Barbecue out by Nellis. 
Okay. Give it a shot. It's no pretty kidding. good. Yeah. All right. I, I agree. Cool. I'm typing I, that right now. I moved here. You'll from, get a rating from me later. Yeah, I moved here from Mississippi, and I, I agree. The the barbecue, just sort of the southern-type restaurants in general, not as great. All right, go ahead, Jared. Yeah, I'm from Kansas City. I was just going to say, I'm from <laughs> Kansas City. Like, don't don't Bogart this whole... I've heard KC. I've heard that KC um, has actually got some good barbecue there, yes? Yes, they have their own style of barbecue, it's very strange, but it's, yeah, we have our own style of barbecue, and that is part of the problem, is every place here is like, yeah, we do barbecue, Carolina style. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, go on. Tina, would you uh, fight someone if they said In-N-Out is better than Whataburger? Oh, my goodness. Yes. Uh, well, I don't know if I would fight them because I'm not that violent, but I will put up a good argument. I'll, I'll back you I up. I will say my first my first couple of weeks here in Vegas, I was driving around town. And I'm thinking like, um, what's the deal with the In-N-Out line being so dang long in this town? I'm like, these people have never tried Whataburger. Uh, and I know a couple of guys who, um, Adrian Minter, someone that I went to school with, Every time he, he played uh, plays for the Braves because they just want to work series, every time he goes back to Texas, he always makes a point to go get some Whataburger. So if you have not tried Whataburger, people, fly to Texas, maybe. You <laughs> can buy a plane ticket and try it. But, yeah, the, the In-N-Out lines here are ridiculous. I was just going to say, if you don't want to buy a plane ticket and go to Texas, they are, they are in Arizona. For some reason, they've skipped Nevada altogether. But you can go to Arizona. It's like a three-hour drive. I do it every, like, three months. Oh, wow. Three-hour drive. Yeah, you drive three hours in Texas, and you are still in Texas. The state of Texas is is huge. Uh, There are a handful of guys on the UNLV basketball team that are from Texas. Donovan Williams is one of them, and he 100% agrees with you that In-N-Out is trash and that he he will probably (laughs) fight someone uh, over Whataburger versus In-N-Out. That is funny. Victor is also from Texas. Yeah. Um, he grew up, uh, actually, he was born in Nigeria um, and grew up in Sulphur Springs. And he was giving me all the details. He said he's got like a farm back in Texas and everything. But he, we bonded over, we missed good barbecue and also Whataburger. The people around here have, once they need to try Whataburger. So, yeah, a lot of the Texas people, I think, will, will side with you that Whataburger is. Better than uh, In and Out. Sorry, Las Vegas. They are both good fast food restaurants. In and Out is far superior. Agreed. I I I have to deal with this every day. Yeah, it's delicious. Um, so Tina comes to us. Uh, she went to Texas A and M. Uh, so first off, what's it like to be a fan of the most overrated team in college football? Oh, come on, Tyler. You lost to Mississippi State. Say- I know, I know. We lost to Mississippi State. We lost to Arkansas. Yeah, before Alabama, we played Alabama, I think it was a bit of a different team. Um, of course, since playing Alabama, A&M's on a what, four-game win streak. And watching the team, I think things have clicked a little more. For one thing, the run game has definitely improved. The pass defense has gotten a lot better, and the run defense looks better as well. And so our O-line was definitely a big problem <laughs> at the beginning of the season, but it's improved um, as well over the last three games. But what's it like to be an, an Aggie alum? I mean, I, I will say, I'll be the first to admit, um, a lot of people will say a and is a cult, and I will also say, yes, it is a cult, <laughs> but it is the best cult. You're laughing. I know it's true, but I will say it is 
um, the, the best club there is to be, to be a part of. How many times did you go to, uh, what was it, Midnight Yell practice? Midnight Yell, yes. I went a couple times. Um, there, so for the Aggies that are um, very into the tradition, I'm going to give you guys some Aggie lessons now. They're called Red Ass. I was Red Ass, but maybe not too much of a Red Ass. I, did, I, I, t- I attended a couple, but I was also the student that had to work a lot of the football games. Um, so that meant that I would try to go to bed <laughs> early and not stay up past uh, midnight. So, but yeah, I've, I've definitely gone a couple times. All the traditions that you hear um, are true, and if you ever get to go to College Station, I'm going to tell you definitely attend midnight yell as well. Yeah, that's definitely where it's a cult. Like you, you joke about it being a cult, but that's definitely the thing that sounds like a cult. We're going to go practice yelling at the other team at midnight. It's that's very cult-like. Well. Uh, Tina, enjoy losing to Ole Miss this weekend. Matt Corral is going to throw for 416 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, and yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. I, I'll give you that. We, we are going up against a very dynamic offense. Of course, the Lane Kiffin led offense, but you guys are going up a, a pretty, pretty tough defense. You got to give us that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. We lost to Mississippi Either State. Either way, we should probably all get our popcorns ready. Yeah. Well, one. yeah, yeah. Lane Kiffin likes his popcorn. We'll have to. Well, Ole Miss is going to win, but we'll have to find some good barbecue for you as well. I, it'll exist somewhere here. Smoke and pig barbecue. Give that a shot. That sounds great. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Tina. Tina Wen from KTNV, uh, just now into Vegas covering the team. Yeah. You have such terrible fast food takes. Who wants to go see the Black Crows? We got a pair of tickets. The Black Crows are coming to Vegas next week at House of Blues. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. We'll take caller number six at 702-364-1100. You'll win a pair of tickets to go see the Black Crows. Our stats hogwash. Are you tired of hearing Tyler do math on the radio? Tweet at Bischoff underscore Tyler and at Ed Graney. I'm talking about the press who feels that Michael Jordan was carrying the Bulls in the 90s. Well, if my mind and my record is straight, Mm -hmm. Tony Kukoc is a Hall of Famer. Dennis Rotman is a Hall of Famer. (laughs) Scottie Pippen is a Hall of Famer. Mm -hmm. And I expect somewhere down the road that Horace Grant will be a Hall of Famer. Mm -hmm. You're locked in the press box. That's right, that Jordan guy was a bum. Well, I wouldn't say he was a bum. He just had he had more help than, you know, the stars of today. Like Le, like LeBron only has Anthony Davis and, you know, the go-go gadget skeleton of <laughs> Russell Westbrook. I picked up Carmelo Anthony in my fantasy league, and it has actually been a good thing. Hall of Famers. All those Hall of Famers dragging Michael Jordan to championships. Overrated. Um, all right. What am I opening a tweet? You are opening a tweet. It's from a book on the 90s uh well it's it's a retelling of a story from the 90s bulls about horace grant and scotty pippen's relationship would you like me to read it yes i would the relationship between these two rookies became an infatuation of sorts quote scotty is like my twin brother explained grant who already had a twin brother harvey (laughs) also an nba player Pippen became his surrogate twin. The two shopped together, double dated together, drove the same type of car, and lived near each other in suburban Northbrook. They even got married a week apart and served as each other's best man. It was the kind of relationship 
that cast an odd bent to the Bulls' already awkward chemistry. Quote, Scotty called in one day and skipped practice because his cat died, recalled former trainer Mark File. Horace called about 15 minutes later and said he was with Scotty because of the grieving. Johnny Bach, our assistant coach, was absolutely furious. He got Horace on the phone and said, you get here. You ought to throw that cat in the garbage can, Horace. <laughs> or when the team got together, someone wanted to have a moment of silence for Scotty's cat. <laughs> so I read that. I love these two. I, I read that. And all I thought was like all the so all the responses to the guy who tweeted that out are like, who cares about the cat? You got to win championships. <laughs> and my thoughts are. Horace Grant seems like a really great guy. I know. Like, like, dude, wait, wait, your cat died? Mr. Whiskers? I'll be right over. Yeah. Phil, like, Phil can wait. Phil and MJ, yeah, whatever. <laughs> this is this is genuinely phenomenal. I love the line, Scotty is like my twin brother from a guy who has, has a, a twin. twin brother. That is incredible. Like, if you're Harvey, Harvey Grant... How are you feeling about Horace Grant being like, yeah, whatever, dude. I got it. I got this other two. He's way more successful than you. I just, I, <laughs> just genuinely. Yeah, no, me and my, me and my actual twin brother, we didn't quite get along. So I found a better twin brother. Do you think Horace Grant was even the best man in his actual twin brother's wedding? No, I, I can't imagine. What, how annoying would that be? You are someone's twin and it's like. Yeah, but you're not really like, you know, well, you're not like best man twin. <laughs> All right. I do need to wrap the show up today. The final minute. I'm a little worried because I'm going to find out how out of shape I am. I have to go run on a treadmill today uh, to get my heart looked at. For uh, avid listeners of this show who know I have fainted three times in the last two and a half years now. Soon to be four later today. Yeah. Uh, I, my doctor sent me to go get my heart checked out. Hopefully we're ruling it out. Hopefully there's nothing wrong with my heart because that would probably be bigger issues than anything else. But yeah, I got to go run on a treadmill and I'm very concerned because I'm not in shape. Like the only thing yeah. I've done in like two years, I've played basketball occasionally, but that's like not constant running. That yeah, is a and, lot of stop and, and start. Yeah. And you're a pull up three shooter. So oh, I yeah. suck at shooting, but it's a lot of stop and start. So I'm very concerned about how well I'm going to do on this treadmill. I don't think it's going to go very well. Um, my lungs are not getting tested, though, but those are going to be a problem. My heart, though, hopefully it's okay. 